A big EC pod this week. Cricket World Cup League 2 tri-series in the USA with UAE skipper Ahmed Raza. Namibia triumph over Namibia. Uganda's women steal the series in Nepal plus can. And the franchise T20 leagues go toe-to-toe, including a good old rant to go with it. But first, a shout-out to our friends at Patreon. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. As always, plenty to talk about on the Emerging Cricket podcast. Aha, back again for another episode of the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Bezzi, to discuss yet another big week of Emerging Cricket action. Fair break done and dusted as we heard last week. If you missed our chat with Georgie Heath, make sure to go back and listen to that as well. Another big week in the Emerging Games, Zimbabwe, Namibia, the end of the Nepal-Uganda Women's Series. Uh, Some more... Controversy, I think, is a word we can use in Nepal in regards to T20 leagues around the country. Cricket World Cup League 2 is about to get underway. We've got squads for Challenge League cricket coming in again. Oh, it's all happening, fellas. How are we? Starting with you, Tim, absent uh, last week, just due to, the, I suppose, the time availability, I think, is probably the, the best way to put it. Voting from abroad as well, Tim, and if you know if people want to sort of skip the next part of the conversation, not a bad week in Australian politics, I think, for all three of us concerned. Uh, what did you make of it all of their all-beat uh, in the Pacific? Yeah. Yes, if you uh, don't want to know the result... Look away now. Yeah. Um, I didn't find out till the, the evening as well. I'd been at a housewarming party and wasn't really sort of phone-connected, but... Uh, yes, I guess it means I can move back permanently to Australia now. So I leave when Tony Abbott became Prime Minister and then came back for a fleeting moment of failed love. And now, now can I come back? Can I come? No, uh, yes. Very good from a Pacific point of view with promised increasing in funding and, and whatnot. So I guess from a Vanuatu cricket perspective, very positive. We were already so well supported by the Australian government. You know, they've supported the Women's Island Cricket Program since day dot, 10 years and, and counting. So, so who knows what else can happen next we start seeing regional tournaments or other exchanges or opportunities to train in australia that'd that'd be excellent but yes been a busy couple of weeks unfortunately I had a friend pass away last week which i think that that actually took me out of recording one of the times so uh yeah that was that was sad news but um otherwise life well it's been a little bit windy we had a, a cyclone last week and out of uh, I'm, I'm doing air quotes for people who can't see me out of season cyclone it was just a cat one people were like oh that's just windy and a bit of rain it's like okay you know you've been here too long when (laughs) (laughs) um but uh no all well here cricket has started again post lockdowns and that's great to see and it's all well it's just straight ahead guns motors everything blazing as we head towards the time we've got to get on a plane the men's team anyway and go to canada so that's going to be here before we know it with that starting in more or less two months so lots and lots going on how have you been daniel good uh saturday night we had a party of our own and we made a bit of a a rule that 
everyone there couldn't talk about the election until a result was decided. And I suppose, thankfully, uh, the desired result came in rather early in the night and we were able to, uh, I think, celebrate just that little bit harder about how everything <laughs> went down. I think it went probably exceeded a lot of people's expectations, especially the three of us in this call, to a point where, Nick, I'm not sure about you, where almost thought, oh, hang on a second. Oh, they've claimed probably too many seats. We need the Greens to be a little bit more active here and and maybe some of our Teal Army independent friends. Uh, How have you been, Nick? There's a lot going on. I know you've been dealing with Icelandic paperwork uh, upon watching lots of cricket. Uh, What's the status of that for everyone keeping up with that saga? (laughs) Well, the um, saga is right. uh, That is what they call them over there. But um, yeah, (laughs) according to FedEx, the uh, paperwork has left Guangzhou and I don't know where it is. Um, That's the last I heard. So hopefully it gets there in time. Um, The election, I was, as both of you were, uh, quite happy to see the back of uh, the current lot, especially, yeah, thinking of you there in the Pacific, Tim, and uh, the story came out just before election day of um, the the outgoing trade minister basically begging for them to double the funding to the Pacific because, you know, various uh, challenges in the region that that need addressing. And uh, she got slapped down by her colleagues, which tells you all you need to really know about their attitude towards the region. So, um... Yes, uh, a good promising development both locally and uh, I think internationally with the the new government not pretending that climate change isn't a problem. But uh, this this isn't a politics podcast, so uh, I think we'll we'll probably leave it there. But Brooklyn was actually working as a um, at the election as a you know as an AEC employee, um, so she got a, a very interesting inside view of uh, of the process and. Uh, it is very nice that we have a, an independent electoral commission and uh, you know very rigorous democracy, and uh, that is a great blessing. Yes, it is, and it was quite telling. You didn't need to be an expert to uh, know where the Pacific leaders wanted votes to go, considering how poorly they were treated and and uh, the Liberal Party's rather dim view of uh, climate change or their belief that it doesn't exist. Let's talk about some cricket. Oh, sorry, one more piece of trivia before we, oh. we do go on. I found out on the election Saturday that you can legally vote in Roman numerals, oh. which I thought was quite funny. So instead of numbering one to seven in in your usual Hindu Arabic symbols, you could, if you wanted to, as long as it was a clear distinction as to who you were voting for and what your preferences were, you could vote in Roman numerals. I don't know who's doing that in 2022. And quite a bit awkward if you mix up your Vs and your Xs and your IVs and VIs. Mm. Anyway, let's get let's get into some cricket. Uh, Zimbabwe and Namibia, great series, if we could watch it all. Following the scores has been great. Zimbabwe cricket have had quite a lot of trouble getting the stream up and about. I think it was only really the first match where there was a proper stream and they might have had it up briefly in the second, only for it to go down again. Uh, a series victory for Namibia, winning the series 3-2. A great performance by Herat Erasmus and his charges. I think there's a lot of things to talk about. And, and to be honest, even before the fifth match, I think we had almost the same discussion points talking about this series. And, and even going back to last week, Nick, we, we had this discussion that, look, no one at Qualifier B should be particularly scared of Zimbabwe. Uh, there are a couple of players that could take a game away from you, but you could say that about all eight teams that will be playing uh, in Zimbabwe come July. 
I thought it was quite telling how well Namibia did with the depth they had. JJ Smith was out uh, due to the unfortunate passing of his father, so he missed the series. But the Namibian team, on the whole, played some pretty good team cricket. Zane Green won a game off the last ball on his bat, batting in the lower order. We saw a number of younger guys step up with the bat at the top of the order. Michael Van Lingen, Devon Lecoq, even Jan-Nicole Lofty-Eaton contributing with the bat. Pretty senior team effort with the ball, everyone chipping in. Erasmus leading the way with the bat and, of course, in the field. But to start with you, Nick, again, I think there are a number of positives out of this series for Namibia, and we could talk about rankings and, and what this series might do for that, but I think they'll take a lot out of this. I think they'll be very confident in, in what they've got as a playing group, beating a, a team like Zimbabwe, going to Bulawayo and, and getting some really big results when it's all said and done. I think it's a, it's a good series for Namibia to take that under, that under their wing and gear up again for another T20 World Cup in, in Australia later on in the year. Yeah, I mean, as you say, Zimbabwe not looking too intimidating in this series. Um, Erasmus, uh, we we sort of talked about it last week, was uh, fiddling around a little bit with his bowlers. You know, guys like Visa and and Trumpelman only bowling sort of two or three and giving some other guys more of a go would indicate to me that he's still kind of experimenting with with combinations. Shonkongo was pretty good in the matches he played. I think looking a bit kind of more broadly at you know, Namibia's depth and how they might go. You know, looking ahead to the World Cup, this this bodes very well. The fact that they can take you know multiple wins off a full member, a higher ranked full member, uh, we we can maybe get into the ranking stuff. Although we we did touch on it last week, but uh, I think yeah, the biggest story as well would just be the fact that Erasmus is uh, still churning out runs, and um, you know multiple finger injuries over the last little while haven't slowed him down, and that's something you you do kind of worry about sometimes. Is if a guy just keeps getting injured do they come back a little bit worse each time but it, it seems like Erasmus is uh is still at full strength uh Madaveri, Wesley Madaveri was impressive as well for Zimbabwe with yep. a few really good knocks uh but other than that yeah they they looked pretty threadbare you know the guys as we mentioned again last week uh, Raza and, and Irvine in the middle order with the bat Chitara was okay with the ball but uh yeah again nothing too intimidating and the fact that Namibia were rotating players and, and being a little experimental and still having so much success, you know, they could easily have won, you know, the first and the third games as well as, as, as what they did. So, uh, yeah, I think they would be pretty confident looking looking ahead to the World Cup and, uh, you know, I think they'll be uh, gunning for sure to knock off a, a full member or two uh, in that tournament. Uh, Green, you mentioned, hit the four to win the match in the last ball thriller in the fourth game. That was uh, <laughs> constantly refreshing the Crick Info feed because, uh, oh, yeah, the um, yeah. Pearl Zimbabwe cricket still struggling uh, to stream anything, it seems. Um, hopefully, they sort that out by the time the qualifier comes around because, yeah, we had a lot of trouble with streaming at the uh, the first of these uh, sort of split global qualifiers uh, a couple of months ago. And it was unwatchable at times. And that was in Oman, where they generally have much better internet connection. So, yeah, a lot of work there for, for Zimbabwe to do if they're going to be streaming a, a, you know, a full ICC event. Um, I guess another talking point would be Visa, David Visa. He's been sort of largely anonymous. He helped in one of the chases, but um, you know, it's, it's encouraging in a way for Namibia that he hasn't done much because it means you know they're not relying on on one star guy who sort of parachutes in and, and wins them games, and they're relying on the home developed talent. You know, Craig Williams at the top of the order has been solid. Devan Lecoq, as you mentioned, Michael Van Lingen, all these guys are sort of there or thereabouts. Um, so yeah, a lot of really good signs for Namibia. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, well, I think 
trying to think the last time an ODI between two full members wasn't telecast was during the, the World Cup qualifiers back in 2018. But trying to think the last time that a hosted full member T20I or any international, albeit against an associate, is not able to be broadcast. There can't be too many of them. I th- I'm guessing it would have you know potentially been in a, an Afghanistan match or something recently, but it, it is slightly concerning, isn't it? Um, I'm guessing it's going to be the same internet connection that they're going to be trying to stream the qualifiers mm. over. But yeah, I know you guys have talked about it in the past, but it's it's a weird situation as well. When was the last time an associate was playing against a full member? More or less as match practice leading into a World Cup that they've already qualified for, yeah. where it's actually in the associate's interest if they lost all the matches because it would give the full member a potentially a free ticket on uh, on rankings and giving them an easier path through regional qualifiers. And I guess we've never had regional qualifiers for a senior men's tournament, but um, just <laughs> lots of Twilight Zone things going on here and talking about Zimbabwe being thread and you know Vise being slightly anonymous which is not good I get for his own personal form but great for the side as you mentioned and no JJ Smith so I think as you said it, it, it bodes well and that the emergence of Lecoq as well for Namibia you know we talk about where their renewal is coming from it's exciting but uh, as you said it would have been nice to be able to watch more of it least to mention I'm sure there would have been some amazing highlights that Namibia would have liked to have on tape to be able to be able to use or to be able to to be beaming back home but it sort of makes you think you know what's what's next if Namibia are sort of edging past Zimbabwe as you say here you know what what does that mean for African cricket if Zimbabwe continue to get the 10 million dollars a year and Namibia you know that the two you know where's that tipping point going to be when more is going to be invested into the Namibian game Likewise, when we see the women getting better and better as well. So I know it's sort of putting a large magnifying glass on Africa here between these these two countries, but it does sort of bring the, the stark contrast in support for members and it doesn't necessarily reflect where they are on or off the field. And just to wrap up Namibia and their collective quality, it comes down to just the fact that domestic cricket in the country at the moment is flying in comparison to what it once was. And over the last three years, and it's something that has been a constant theme of our podcast since we've started is that the organization in Namibian cricket over the last three years has been outstanding and you can tell that there's direct correlation between how organized things are off the field to then how they translate to to action on the field you don't need to be a genius to kind of work out especially from a an associate standpoint which teams are doing well when you also look to how well they're doing off the field too so I think a lot can be said between that and, and one of the next members that we're about to, to talk about in Nepal and we've just seen their women's team lose a T20I series to Uganda another growing emerging power in the African continent Nepal did hit back to pull a game back but the damage was already done Uganda taking the series again the likes of Konsiaweko standing up among a number of Victoria Pearls Lady Cranes whatever you want to call them Uganda at this level are, are, are seemingly on the up Nick and it's a, a really positive result for them I don't think even talking to some people in the African cricket community I don't think they were really expecting such a positive result against a, a pretty decent team at this level not the greatest team in associate cricket by any means but you know for them it's a, it's an excellent result and they can come home with their heads held high in what was a, a really great tool for them yeah it sort of just goes to highlight the strength of that African region you know as as we um, look ahead to the Kwabuka which is coming up in in a little while uh, and we'll see a few more of these cross-regional matches and you know, the fact that Uganda who are probably the third best team 
I, I guess if you count Zimbabwe in, in the emerging level, you know, not including South Africa, yeah, you're going to probably the third best team uh, in Africa at the moment in women's cricket. And they're, you know, they're winning an away series against Nepal 3-2. That's pretty convincing. The the batting, again, as always, um, is sort of the Achilles heel here for Uganda. Uh, nobody passed 50. Kevin Awino, the, the wicketkeeper, did okay. But uh, yeah, basically low 20s average. Janet Mbabazi, yeah, again, just not able to really get much past 100 in, in any of their efforts. Uh, whereas even Nepal in in that last game uh, got to 120 odd with uh, the the wicketkeeper Jody Pandey hitting 40 something and um, yeah I I just think that's going to be the missing piece of the puzzle and we have talked about this a lot uh, especially in women's cricket it's it's something that is a recurring issue but their bowlers are very good uh, Konsiaweko uh, topping the wicket tally for the series pretty good economy rate she she's an aggressive leg spinner who uh, is is always worth keeping an eye on and now now as the captain yeah has has been leading quite well over the last little while i just yeah we we talked about it last time but you know where does this leave nepal i just think their women's team is drifting and we'll, we'll talk about the administrative issues going on in a minute but just the fact that you know they've, they've gone from being the second best team in asia to kind of nowhere and and, and you know uganda beating them comfortably at home is um i don't i don't know if it's uh if it's going to cause much change, but it really, it, it should be a bit of a kick up the bum to give them you know, a bit more impetus to invest more in the women's program because, well, I mean, firstly, because it's the right thing to do, but <laughs> I guess if, if that's not enough, we hear a lot about Nepal's ambition to be a full member. You can't be a full member if your women's team is no good. So, and it's as simple as that. Well. Unless you're Afghanistan. <laughs> I think it's even more impressive from Uganda, the fact that they lost their women's national coach in the last couple of months. Yeah, Siraj Karavadra, English guy had gone down there just under a year ago because I remember you know Jeremy Bray knows him from a, a couple of years ago when he worked in Denmark and with the UK and he had you know huge dreams of, of what he wanted to do and we we're talking about bilateral tours and, and events and whatnot and the fact that he he had to depart two or three months ago and the fact they were able to do that after that would say that you know either you know he was able to put some good processes in place that they came through or you know it's that talent was there anyway for him to come through as they have and I can only just reiterate what you said about Nepal and I'm sure we'll we'll get onto them more which will probably encapsulate kind of everything that's that's a challenge with Nepal at the moment but well if you look at who could do what Thailand's done but in a situation with actual local support and knowledge of the game it's you know hands down Nepal but as you say they've just not only gone nowhere but seem to have gone backwards which is is really disappointing. Before I forget, um, Nick, you alerted me to this. I think it was on Twitter this week. Davis Karashani, former men's player of, of Uganda, graduated from law school at the Makerere University in Kampala. So congratulations to him. Mm. Uh, but talking about, I suppose, Nepal, and I think, and, and we'll link it to sort of our next bit because it, it's quite an encompassing point in regards to Can and, and Nepali cricket in general. If you think that the Can contracted players in Nepal and the men's team are not receiving the money that they should be receiving for their services. You, you can only sympathize further when you see what it's like on the on the women's side. And that's been a long-term controversy in the country and the country's cricket because you need to remember, you know, as, uh, as having one-day international status, there is extra funding that comes with that and funding from the ICC. And unfortunately, a lot of that funding has not filtered through to, to player contracts. And we know the disparity between the money that is funded to Nepal and the Nepali wage, that money can go a long way in helping the future of, of a number of Nepali players. It seems that 
we're not quite seeing that. And just to kind of add, you know, to emphasize some more sort of Nepali issues going on at the moment, a statement from the Everest Premier League yesterday in the wake of the Cannes uh, Cricket Association of Nepal run T20 League that has been announced and will be coming up for later on this year actually runs into the ICC Men's T20 World Cup later in the year as well. Uh, The EPL came out with a press release on Monday nights, a joint statement by the owners of all six franchises who said, and quote, when the nation's cricketing activities were developing, private sporting institutions like the Everest Premier League, along with its six franchise teams, played a pivotal role in development of the game in the country, keeping national team players of all categories motivated through financial engagement, giving them international flavor by bringing in players from test-playing nations, etc., etc. Should can hold up and implement its most recent decision of not endorsing the Everest Premier League as a can sanctioned tournament, then all of us will not be supporting and will completely boycott any of the sporting programs that Cricket Association of Nepal will be holding from now onwards. So what that essentially means for players, fans, and the league itself, the Everest Premier League, will not be run under any form of sanction from Cannes and therefore unable to be sanctioned by the ICC, I believe. Uh, There's no limit to how many T20 competitions can run in a country, providing that they're all ICC sanctioned. Again, I spoke to Tim about this a little bit early, given that he's an expert on this in comparison to us. So, look, this leaves Nepali cricket in the lurch a little bit because we're going into a can-run T20 league that has no experience. They're putting their faith into companies and organizations who have not run a league of this nature in Nepal, nor cricket leagues in general. And a competition like the Everest Premier League that has, you know, almost half a dozen years of of action behind it already will not be able to run. So, Tim, looking at it from an administrative standpoint, and I think all of these issues kind of filter into national team players and fans who are sort of desperate just to watch more cricket, players to play more cricket and to develop their game. It's kind of a lose-lose situation, this. And, And... Irrespective of how well a can-run league can go, it only runs for a very short amount of time. And not having the Everest Premier League after that means that there's more emptiness in the calendar and therefore no cricket played. And in the end, it really doesn't help out anybody. Yeah, and we'd asked the question a couple of weeks ago, you know, what do we think that Cairns going to do with integrating this new tournament with the existing ones? And I think the EPL made a point in that release saying they're one of only a handful of leagues in the world that have actually ran more than three times or more than four times or something, which is impressive um, considering all the the struggles that the game was going through when when the EPL started. I don't know, I, I just go back to the conversation we've had previously that I don't think this is the way to try and bring everybody together to be pushing in this in the same direction to try and grow the game you know getting a an event that runs into a world cup which is already going to mean that you're not going to get some of the the, the highest pool players possible telling the other event or well, events that have been propping up the game while the association were were suspended is basically now null and void because you know to make it clear if you're not sanctioned you, you can't run um, well, you can run, but any player that plays is subject to potential banning because they haven't been released by their, their country. So you'd probably get a bunch of players from countries who aren't looking to play nationally or even within the sort of auspices of professional cricket. So it's a uh, it's regrettable. I, I, I don't think it's something that we didn't see coming because it, there didn't seem to be any dialogue between CAN and the EPL. And as you said, it's a lose-lose. You know, not only will we get this 
tournament that probably could have been a lot better if you'd prepared for another couple of years and and really worked together with those that had worked from within Nepal to to bring the EPL and and other events or similar smaller regional events to fruition get them work together about how they do these things for the game itself not not forgetting that I believe that the the event company that they're working with is not a, a Nepali based one so where money more money was coming from and staying in the country now that's that's going to change again and, and for what you know we've talked about already today how the, the women's team's gone backwards so instead of concentrating some of the firepower and perhaps building a tournament that would build a profile of the game in Nepal and beyond for, for the women's players they've gone after the cash the short-term money grab for selling the rights to a men's t20 tournament and then basically salted the earth when it comes to relationships with any other cricketing entities and the fact that they're threatening a boycott you know what will that mean the owners and and sponsors because the the players can't be doing that because the players are contracted so what will that actually look like and for it to get get to this point where the EPL has to call its own press conference to talk about these things and the fact that it would sound like they haven't sat down and had any meaningful meetings you know we, we haven't been told any more and we'll try and find out more because there's a story to be told here and I hope it's not going to be 101 how not to to start a, a tournament when you're trying to build rapport with with a fan base because this isn't looking good Amir Akhtar has built this from from literally nothing, from a, from an idea when Nepal didn't even have an association and, and to be sort of just sidelined like this for no reason that we've been told or, or, or you can see it, I can't see how this help, helps the game. And yep, I can understand a governing body wanting to have complete control of the income coming in, but if you want anybody to be buying franchises or putting their own money in for players and, and all these different things, you've got to try and keep your potential partners happy. And whether it was a team or a profit share over a number of years, depending on where the actual income goes, it was surely lots of ways to try and bring the EPL and other groups in to try and make this into one of the biggest T20 leagues in the world because there's not too many that have run successfully and there's a real opportunity there. But uh, yeah, well, I think it's just symptomatic of what we've seen kind of happen with, with Ken. You, know, you mentioned salaries before and yeah, the men don't get paid too well, but the women get paid even worse. And you know the way that they work the men's contracts out still baffles many about how they graded the players so it's you know, not looking too good is it for uh, fans of not only Nepali cricket but just you know cricket's growth itself yeah I think Tim you've covered most of the sort of administrative issues of, around this and I, I guess just looking at it from my perspective what's the end result here what's well, less cricket for a country that is already lacking in cricket <laughs> well exactly it's already you know that it's not like say in Australia where they're they're struggling to manage their players because there's so much workload because they're on the field all the time they don't have that much actual cricket that they're playing so how how can the team continue to improve if you're actively reducing the number of times they even get on the field and roll the arm over or or swing a bat so just on a practical level it doesn't make sense in that way and I mean you you talked about negotiations and all that kind of stuff and I mean we can only hope that there will be some kind of uh, you know discussion or settlement or, or something but doesn't look good it just seems like the kind of bitter division uh, within a cricketing community that's just going to leave scars for a long time and disputes between the board and and you know private entities trying to run tournaments I can't think of a time when that's really gone particularly well for cricket in general uh, I guess you can argue some of the results at the end of the Packer Wars were good but at the time you know it was tearing cricket apart in Australia so I, I don't think 
any of these things are ever good in that sense. And yeah, just on the women's point, you know, why not have Can organise the women's tournament? I know this is about money, but you know, let the EPL keep going or, or, or something along those lines and, and you know, turn the EPL into a women's event and Can can run. Or, you know, I'm sure there's something they could have done on that side of things to try and improve the, the women's seen in Nepal because as we always say you know the potential is there the the fan base is there the the interest is there but the administration is just lacking again and again and again and it's it's so frustrating to see the same things happening and this was one of the barbs that was thrown in my direction on social media this week. I love when I see this, Daniel, because I love seeing how you respond, by the way. I've had to, <laughs> I've had to keep, keep my fingers in check so many times because I, I, you're, doing, <laughs> you're doing a fine job anyway. But Why do we keep criticising Nepal? And the simple answer is because we know that there's so much potential to do so much better. You know, when, when it's a lost cause, you almost don't care and you don't get angry anymore because think of the most useless thing you've ever had to do with and you've just given up arguing because you just know that there's no improvement nothing better can come out of it sounds like the recently voted out government (laughs) yeah exactly we just we got bored of criticizing them because they were that bad but again you just think about all the things they can be doing and this is why we're screaming until we're red in the face is because we know that it could be so much better i feel so sorry for the players who are stuck in all of this nonsense and you know there is so much politics micropolitics even in the team selections and the squad selections and we aren't even dipping into that Mm. this is looking at just how much cricket a player in Nepal can play and again it goes back to what we were talking about in Namibia think of the correlation between a organized board and a shambles of a board and you can see what it does to a team on the field look at every single team in league two at the moment and you can make a pretty good assumption of how their board is doing based on where that team is on the table maybe with the exception of maybe Scotland where there's been a couple of things up and down over the last couple of years and the team have been pretty rock solid on the field but every other team UAE rock solid after their rebuild after the controversy that they had two years ago Oman it's a tight ship between Pankaj and his team Namibia even looking at PNG there's murmurs of, of things not going too well in that part of the world and Nepal and yes Nepal have a lot of catching up to do in League 2 but the proof is kind of in the pudding there and again the only reason we're harping on about this is because we know that Nepali cricket has all the resource all the ability all the talent on the field it could possibly want from an associate member. They have 30 million people and millions of fans, for goodness sake, who want to pack out the TU ground every time and they're left disappointed because there's not enough cricket being played. The only reason we are up and about every time is because we know what Nepal could be. And they might be so strong, hypothetically, that we wouldn't have to talk about them because they're a full member, because they're playing test cricket and they're self-sustainable and working off their own bat. But we sit here and we keep talking about them all the time because they make the same mistakes and expect something different to happen. What's the Ned Flanders' father line in The Simpsons, Tim? We tried nothing, man, and we're all out of ideas. It's like it's exactly what Nepal cricket is at the moment. <laughs> and look, I... Good luck to the people who have recently been appointed by Can, and maybe there's some change on the horizon. But again, we'll only believe it when it's done and not when it's said because Can will announce this T20 Franchise League and jump and scream and celebrate and be all about it. But 
we won't be able to make a judgment on how successful that is until it's done, uh, how it goes, and given that it will be competing with a T20 World Cup, I'm optimistic, but I'm realistic in that, look, dare I say it, I, I can't see it going, you know, amazingly well when it's competing with something like that. And if it does bring in 330 million rupees, which it does promise to deliver, which we learnt last week, Nick, that equates to 2.5 to $3 million, that's great. But how's that money being reinvested? You know, from a grassroots level, you can't really tell just how well a tournament like that's going to go and how much it's going to help them. You've only got one ground that's up to standard in the eyes of Cam because they're having this competition at one stadium, at one stadium and only. We don't know what's happening with the Gautam Buddha complex. We don't know what's happening in other parts of the country. Again, we're only talking about it because we know that so much can be done better out of this. There are guys in the national team who aren't even making the national squad at the moment who are 15, 16, 17 thinking that their future in Nepali cricket is over. If anything, it should almost have never begun in the first place. They've played 23 players in League 2. They have no sort of consistency across the team. They've had, what, three coaches in the last three years at least between Dasanaika coming back, Watmore and Umesh Patwal I think was there before he got sacked or he was the batting coach and a lot of this was put on him. But the fact of the matter is it's because there's not enough domestic cricket being played and no one's international ready. So what do you expect every time you go out to the field? Do you just expect that someone getting picked is just going to miraculously make runs with no real experience in domestic cricket under their belt. I'm starting to run out of breath, boys, just talking about (laughs) this. And Look, I I understand the process. I understand the logistics of T20 leagues and what Cam want to do, what they want to endorse. But I think Cam needs to kind of turn around and say to themselves, look, we weren't good for a long time here. Let's try and forge some sort of transitional period or some sort of happy medium where they can say to the Everest Premier League, we can coexist, providing we both profit and we both do what we've set out to achieve. I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that. I think Cam would be applauded if they swallowed their pride and said, look, let's cooperate. Let's talk to Amir Akhtar. Let's see what they want to do. You know, maybe if you have two separate tournaments and then after the final of the Everest Premier League, you go, let's have a bit of fun here. Let's pit the winner of the Everest Premier League against the winner of the Can Run Cricket Nepal T20 League. I mean, there's not enough high-level domestic cricket being played to develop ready-made players. And that's just a systemic problem of Nepali cricket in general. They've been given all this money in ICC funding by associate standards. We know that our associates don't get a lot individually, but in saying that from an associate standpoint, they get more than most. And again, to go back, people who lose out, it's the fans. Like, the fans want to watch cricket. The fans are desperate for cricket. The fans are desperate for some positive press. And we sit here every week, and there's just so much potential. So, so much. This is why, like... I went to Nepal in 2016 on a tour just of a local club, just of the local club, just watching the passion and seeing the passion of... And I, and I hate using the word passionate to describe fans because all fans should be passionate. But there was just this different level of energy in Nepali cricket fan and whether it was playing club cricket or, or supporting cricket. It's just in an abundance. And to see Can sort of fail repeatedly and all these people's dreams are crushed, you know... I, I can think of a handful of people who have put their heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears and money into Nepali cricket, all to have nothing back in return and and, and with nothing to show for it. And it's so, so disappointing. And I think Nepal fans and, and people involved in Nepali cricket now are disillusioned. You know, they don't expect anything better because they're in a habit of losing and they can't see the sun rising the next morning because they just feel like the same mistakes are going to be made because the same people are hired, the same people are forced into the decisions and nothing gets done. Well... 
you know, it's funny when these things come up, it's generally when people overreact to one of your tweets or misinterpret it and then overreact, making out that somehow you're having a dig at, at Nepal cricket. And I guess you've got a larger fan base, you know, the chances of more likely running into someone who completely misses sarcasm or doesn't know your, you know, special brand of humour. But to me, it almost shows one of the problems is that this outrage-a-thon. We want to get outraged about something. And even if it's someone criticising the association or making a joke about the home and away you know, fixtures being announced when you're playing at the same ground. You know, there are other things that you could be concentrating on, like how the tournament will actually work and, and what's happening. That I think that's part of the problem too, but that's not necessarily something you can fix overnight with a with a better administration. That's a kind of an educated fan base. But if you're not putting out good programs and a good product, then how do you expect your, your fan base to, to act any differently if, if that's how they're reacting online? So that's something that is disappointing too. And, you know, I know that with Andrew Nixon listening to this, he's unfortunately been at the pointy end of abuse. But, you know, it can't be impossible. You know, we know one guy, a good friend of ours, Andrew Leonard, who goes there two or three times a year and seems to be universally liked. And there's a guy who knows his stuff, goes in there, does his job with integrity, goes out again and walking back with open arms. So I don't think it's necessarily impossible, but, you know, it, it just goes back to, you know, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And, you know, we've we've mentioned the, the hiring strategy of only taking passport holders for administration positions. And I guess when you've, when you've got the same kind of group of people, whether it's the board or people that are employed involved the same group of ideas you know it's tough to see how they're going to move out of that rut but uh, you know the reality is they've already been suspended (laughs) you know for for a number of years so this has happened before and if things aren't run to a standard that the ICC are happy about you know I, I can see something happening again you know if whether it's political interference or whatever we see and look we can leave the jokes aside of, of looking at what happens in in some of the full member nations but now we've seen associates get get hold over the coals for this and so I, I think that Nepal just need to be careful that they don't I'm trying to think of the uh, the you know Willy Wonka analogy of something about the golden goose if something happens with this event and it doesn't doesn't go to plan and it turns into a it's not even a lost leader and then they're struggling financially again you know where does the game go if you've you've alienated your previous commercial partners that were uh, running successful events and then the event you're trying to run doesn't doesn't go well so yeah it's a tough one and again you know to think about Ken's relationship with prospective sponsors for their tournament if many of those sponsors have you know filtered money into the Everest Premier League mm. And now you turn around and you say what you've said and you're doing what you have claimed to, to do in the future. You know, who is going to sign up on, on a can-run T20 league? You know, maybe it, it is, a, is a chance for, for them to promote it and to sell that sponsorship for quite a bit of money knowing that they are the only league. But, I mean, it comes at a risk for both can and and the prospective sponsors on both ends trying to come up with a deal. It's it's a very interesting time in Nepal and, and one that, we are interested in in observing but you know we're not necessarily all about it because again we want we want the game to prosper in nepal and you know unfortunately it just seems you know in this situation i don't think nepal wins yeah i'm sure there are plenty of opinions on on this and you know for anyone who's lasted this long uh make sure you you let us know and, and let us know you were listening shall we talk about some actual cricket that will be happening uh the first of two Cricket World Cup League Two Tri Series back to back begins. It begins on the twenty eighth of May. Just trying to do my quick maths here. That's next no, uh, Saturday night. Okay, Cricket World Cup League Two in Musa Stadium in Texas begins on the twenty eighth of June. That's Saturday for everyone playing at home. 
Scotland, UAE, and of course the host, the USA. Intriguing series uh, in that Scotland and UAE are probably the two form teams of the competition going back to the last couple of series. Scotland on a nice little run moving into second place. UAE just behind. USA have the chance to put in and win a few matches on the bounce here at home. Although Moosa Stadium is a rather unknown ground for, for everyone. So the home field advantage might not necessarily ring true here. How do we see this being played out, Nick? I look at the teams. Very interested to see how this goes. All the matches will be on ICC TV, live and free for everyone around the world to watch it as well. The time zone isn't particularly great for us, but we will hopefully see some dramatic conclusions in the early morning here as we wake up on the East Coast and in Vanuatu for Tim. On paper, pretty even series. I I don't really know which way this goes, and I'm intrigued as to how you see it goes because I will probably copy your working. Yeah, I think Scotland probably favourites. They went 4-0 in the recent series they had in the UAE uh, against PNG and Oman. They've looked good in all the matches they've played recently. UAE are kind of have got ahead of steam up, although they um, played a, oh, a huge number of matches in a row a couple of months ago. And um, they, they looked a little tired towards the end of that and slipped to a defeat against PNG. So... That Scotland-UAE match um, will, I think, be crucial in who's, who's getting these points as everyone's sort of chasing Oman at the top of the table. Although, yeah, as, as we've discussed, the first place is kind of irrelevant now that promotion up to the Super League uh, isn't available. But, uh, yeah, I think USA probably third by little margin here. Um, I mean, obviously, anyone can beat anyone. But, uh, yeah, UAE and Scotland, as you say, the form teams... And uh, I don't know, USA's squad, just kind of pretty standard stuff. It's the same guys who've been around for a number of years. And, you know, there's, there's all this exciting talent coming through the, the minor league system. And there's only, you know, one or two guys uh, who, who have come up through that system in uh, Yassir Muhammad and, and Rahul Jarawala. Uh, and all the rest of it's, you know, Aaron Jones, Monank Patel, Jeskaran Malhotra, Srebrenica-Valka, etc., etc. Cameron Stevenson's back, which is interesting. He, the last match he played for the USA or just in competitive cricket in general, I think, was <laughs> was their 35 all-out against Nepal, uh, which, um, yeah, so that, that was a little while ago. So it'll be interesting to see where sort of seam bowling fits in because, I, I, yeah, as you say, we haven't seen a whole lot of this field and, and how it plays. Um, you know, conversely, Scotland's pace attack bit of a question mark as it has been over the last few years and um, they might be a little thin on bowling with Watt being away on county duty uh, whereas the UAE just have so much quality all through the order uh, you know bowling and batting and obviously uh, Aravind and Suri at the top and, and Rohan Mustafar and, and Ahmed Raza who's, who's a great favorite of the podcast and Mohammed Wadim who whacks it so there's just yes a, a lot of exciting talent on the UAE and uh, I think it'll be a really good series. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. You know, we've just had the recent series, multiple series in UAE and Oman to really get a feel for where Oman and UAE were. And I feel like this is almost like the other side of the coin to have the USA there and also Scotland, who, you know, if we look at win percentage, are the are the leading team in League Two at the moment. So I'm I'm excited to see how they how they travel and, and how they play. It's a, t- a tough one to tough one to call. Yep, no Mark Watt. That'll make a, a big difference. He's been, I don't know, close to their best player, I think. You know, yes, as a left arm spinner, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of what he what he brings to the table and the consistency. It's all right. There's still Hamzata here. And like like we've we've agreed in the past that you could put him in any team at the moment and he'd and he'd do a job and he wouldn't disgrace himself. 
Yeah, and then, well, the, the UAE just keep surprising us and young players coming through the system that great to see and they keep backing them. You know, I think that's probably the difference we've seen with the UAE maybe as compared to some of some of the other sides at the, the pointy end of men's cricket at the moment, maybe not sticking with them as long. So that'll be good. Um, we need a couple of night games, don't we? So it's going to finish later for us, so later in the day, but it's going to be at a pretty, pretty inconvenient time. And, and I think... You know, with Scotland looking towards the World Cup and then another hosted series approaching, I think it will put us in a good place as to where where these teams are. You know, if, you know, we've seen Namibia play a bit of late and, and Oman. This is kind of like the the best of the rest that are, are fighting for those those top three spots that we know are um, are so important as we look into qualifying for for twenty twenty three. As mentioned before, the Tri-Series begins on Saturday the 28th of May in Pearland, Texas, and it is available to be streamed live and free on ICC TV. I caught up briefly with Ahmed Raza to discuss juggling 50-over cricket through League 2, as well as preparing for the T20 World Cup later this year in Australia. You're prepping for a T20 World Cup, and at the moment you've got a lot of 50-over cricket as well through League 2. You guys have been on a pretty good run in, in League 2 cricket as well. As a captain yourself, but also collectively as a team, what's it? What's your sort of split in terms of focus between the two formats, you know, and what do you have to kind of differ in, in your setup across the two formats to just make sure that you guys are on top of both? Yeah, it's it's not easy. Just let me, let me put that out very clear that <laughs> it's not easy to juggle between two formats. And especially when we were in Oman, because we were starting with, uh, with our ODI's person. That was the first week of uh, February. And, now, and I knew that, you know, the most important games or one of the most important games of our career, we will be playing at the back end of Feb, which is three weeks down the line. And there were so many games we were playing before that, uh, you know, and, and it, it, it can take its part uh, as well where, where you're playing in these, in these extreme conditions. And, and you know, we were, we were going to play 10, 10 games, I think, before we played that semifinal, the all-important semifinal. So it was really important. As individuals and collectively, to to be in the right head frame, uh, to be in the right fitness, to be available for selection throughout the tournament and uh, you know throughout those important games where, because once you're in the qualifiers, there's the you have to pick your best eleven every single day. You can't give anyone any sort of rest. There was only one game where Zahur didn't play, which was the Bahrain game, but that was that was not a game where we wanted to rest him, but it was it was required and it was uh, advised by the physio where where we had to. Uh, give him uh, a, a day's break for for him to be hopefully ready for the for the semi final. Otherwise, I mean, I think throughout that time in one we we picked up best eleven and so juggling between. I think more than juggling between the two formats, it was about uh, maintaining the fitness levels, maintaining you know the three weeks down the line, and still having to win all the games leading up to that because. Uh, because it's international cricket, everything was was uh, you know uh, when we were playing the ODIs, the the World Cup, the pure World Cup qualification was at stake. Then we played the quadrangular, but we were we were playing the same teams we were gonna face in the qualifiers. So you didn't yeah. wanna you know shop and change so much because you don't wanna give them the edge before before the main games came around. And those were T20 internationals. And the rankings were at stake. So there was there was a lot of things happening in Oman, and and you you just couldn't. Uh, you know, be off your game uh, at all. Uh, so juggling and between all of that mental state, juggling between formats, I think it was uh, 
it was it was hard work as well then we came back we probably had uh, a couple of days off and then we we were into two two big series as well so we played eight games over there we we had i think nine a run of 19 games in uh, in eight weeks uh, not even eight weeks i think in around in about 45 to 50 days we had uh, 19 games 19 international games so and between all of that it was struggling between t20 and odis uh, and then and now again i mean it it's very hard to uh, to schedule your preparation you know because we we have two very big series against uh, usa and scotland and usa and in scotland uh, so we really have to uh, you know be working towards our 50 over games but we have to keep an eye on the world cup and the asia cup which is uh, which is which will be played at the end of uh, august september so we uh, it's it's just how how you have to prepare and it's just how life is of of an associate player maybe where uh, where i mean but i i but please i'm not complaining about cricket i think we we, we didn't play cricket at all so i'm so happy to be playing cricket whatever format it is but i'm just telling you it's it's not easy it takes uh, it takes a lot out of you and and uh, skill wise as well i think it's it's different it's very difficult for batters and bowlers to adjust as well where 50 overs you have to be relentless with your lines and lengths with t20 you get away with the short ball you get away with the cut ball and it's a good ball people applaud you get if you get cut so it's it's different in that way uh, but uh, happy happy very happy to be playing a lot of cricket but uh, but, but our, our really testing time is going to be coming in in the two in two weeks time when we play scotland who's who's in a, in a very good run in their world cup uh, league winning four games away from home is is never easy and and uh, you know they're going to be a tough opponent and usa playing at home so you know we've we really have to be at our a game to be to be pulling those games and you know getting those really important points hi i'm pankaj kimji and you're listening to the emerging cricket podcast In some final news to wrap up this week, five associate women's teams have been awarded one-day international status by the ICC with immediate effect. Netherlands, PNG, Scotland, Thailand and the USA have all had their status upgraded as part of the revamping of the ICC Cricket World Cup pathway. We'll talk about all the fallout and consequence of that decision on next week's show. On behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy your week wherever you are in the emerging cricket world. Yeah, time. Whoa!